0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Tomorrow when you are in rush hour traffic, dropping your kids off at school or going to work, I want you to think of the thousands of cars that are on the highway. Think about how many people are one in a car by themselves and three in the speed lane going by you. I want you to think about them that they are on this desperate quest to survive on Oahu financially and just life here. Think about them. All of them will have a pretty good life maybe on Oahu only to die and because of their belief system that is not biblical, we'll spend eternity separated from God. There are not many different religions, many different places after you die you go. And whichever one you pick is okay because that's where you're going to go. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says there's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved than Jesus. There's no hope other than through Christ. So now while you're driving, I want you to look at that mass humanity. And for just that moment, I want you to feel their pain of lostness, financial problems. A note back from the doctor saying they've got cancer. The loss of a job. A child that's rebellious. Problems in their home. When you students go off to school tomorrow and they're banging all the different lockers closed and they're going to classes and they're spilling out and they're laughing and they got all the little technology, whatever they might have, I want you to think, no matter what those kids have, I don't care what kind of clothes they have, what they have on their iPods, you look at them because when they die, they don't take their iPods with them. They die and go to hell. If they don't know Christ. For just a moment. I want you to feel like you are a girl. Being abused by your father. I want you to think what it's like. To live in a home. Where mom and dad are screaming at one another. And you don't know. What could happen violently next. They are lost without Christ. And that's where the compassion comes in. Look at the next verse in Matthew 14. It's interesting how all these. Matthew 9. Matthew 14. Matthew 15. All deal with compassion for the lost. It says, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. If this is your Bible, I'd like you to mark it. Would you now look at the verse again? I want to show you something. It says, and when Jesus went out. Underline the word when. It won't be until we get our eyes off our own holy huddle will we ever be able to see the masses to even start having compassion on them. Now that's where we ought to talk about engaging our culture. We have to get out of our holy huddles for that moment. And when we do that, we'll be moved with compassion. Look, it says, and when Jesus went out, would you underline that? Now, I'm excited that we have in-house events in which to draw people for them to come to hear the gospel. We should do that, and I'm glad. But at the same time, if we're merely an event-driven church, we will miss a greater part here. It wasn't Jesus inviting them into the temple to hear him give the gospel. It wasn't Jesus Christ inventing, inviting them to a location to hear the gospel. It was when Jesus went out into the community that he was then moved with compassion when he saw the great multitude. And you might want to underline the word great. The action was to get out. The attitude was compassion for them. And so tomorrow I want you to get out of this church I want you to get off the premises and get out into the culture and look at those people who are desperate for Christ. One more verse in chapter 15, it says, Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude. I thought that was interesting. First, he demonstrated it, and then he taught them that he had that compassion. I can only imagine the ones that were hearing him, like even Matthew, to know that Jesus had compassion on him, although he had a job that nobody wanted. Would you yell out from the crowd, what job did Matthew have as his career? What was it? Tax Tax collector! How many of you would like to be a tax collector? Not me. I don't even want to be a bill collector. Alright? So again, what I'm saying simply here is, he could feel the compassion that the Lord gave to him. But Matthew was found outside, just like we should. If I look at this, I'm looking at the multitudes. In doing my homework for this uh, sermon today, I, I came up with some numbers. How many people do you think were spinning on planet Earth during the time of Jesus? What do you think the population on Earth was? Now the most I could get, and I'm sure there's going to be different figures, because there were no census takers during that, in that sense of the global total of people. They come to a consensus agreement of approximately 150 million people. We have about 6 billion people on the earth today. In Jesus' time when he said this, he was looking at 150 million. Now if I divided Jesus in half, I would look at his first side, it would be his earthly, as he was all man, the God, man, Jesus... He could look at the multitudes that were just around him and he was moved with compassion. Now you take the same Jesus who is also God in the flesh. God could see beyond little Jerusalem there and he saw the whole globe of people who didn't know Christ as Savior. In either case, he was moved with compassion. And so for a little bit of our life, it would be wise for us to look at a map of the world and think of all the unreached people groups. We could talk about first world, second world, third world people. But then there are people that are way beyond third world, fourth world, groups of people that don't even have their language written. There's, we, don't, we haven't even learned their language enough to be able to explain to them how that their belief system doesn't work and it's got to be by faith alone. So he looked at the multitudes. Listen, listen, that's why this church is and will always be a global focused church. We will not forget about our missionaries where the sun does not set on their ministry somewhere on planet Earth. We care for them. We partner with them. We pray for them. We give to them. We resource them. Hopefully some of us will even go to help them for a while. And maybe some of you will follow God's call and go into global evangelism and be a missionary in some fashion a missionary, whether it's marketplace evangelism or what. But stay with me for just a moment. While we can look at the masses, sometimes it's easier for us to cry over the masses while we go to the Alamoana Mall shopping. We wind up at Walmart and we forget about handing out a tracker, inviting them to hear the message at church. And so at the same time Jesus thought about the masses, he never forgot the individuals. For example, these individuals, the two blind people, where Jesus had to touch their eyes in the middle of a crowd. The one with leprosy or Hansen's disease came to Jesus and Jesus... For a moment, set aside the masses and looked at the hurt of a man who had a disease. And that disease brought him social enigma as well. And then you could look upon others who had the same struggle. So while he thought about the masses, he didn't forget about the person that was right in front of him. I wonder how many of you, but by the time you leave church today and you wind up at home tonight, you will engage the public in some manner. And while we want to care about our, our lost world, will you engage whoever part of the public today in some measure for Christ and the gospel? It's important for us to consider that. We need to reach them globally and locally, multitudes and individuals. Here's the second characteristic, and Jesus was patient. While he was compassionate, that compassion also gave him a patience and long-suffering that we do well to have in our own life. Second Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, but is, everyone, long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. Numbers 14, 18 says, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Some of you that are now, what we might call, blood-bought, born-again believers, some of you have quite a nefarious past. Some of you have gone through a horrible route to get to Christ. But you're on this side of it where now you've trusted Christ, and while you're celebrating Christ as your Savior, you're celebrating sins forgiven. A merciful Father who had cast your sin into a sea of forgiveness. A gracious God and Savior who says, not only will I forgive you so you don't go to hell, I'm going to grant you an eternal relationship with me and a home in heaven with streets of gold up there. And to get there from where you were, it was patience and long-suffering. You're enjoying that right now. And you know there are neighbors that are burning paper money to some God hoping it'll do something in their afterlife. God is patient and long-suffering with them. So some of you, you've run through your neighbors, you've run through your fellow workers, you've run through your people groups, and so you said, it's all done, I can't reach them, it's not working, they don't want to hear. And so you're at, your um, display of patience is is more not patience and long-suffering, not wanting to perish, although intellectually you don't. It's more just ignorance and tolerance, and okay, if they want to know, they know where I'm at. If they go through a crisis, and somehow, in some way, the It comes up in a topic and they're really open. I'll give them the gospel. It's still not enough. I looked at three different people in the Bible to show how patient and long-suffering Jesus was to them. Three different characteristics. First of all, to ignorant people. You know people who are ignorant of the gospel. They don't know nothing of it. Now think about it with me. When I was a kid growing up, most all of us knew the story of creation. We knew the story of Christmas. We knew the story of Easter. We knew about Daniel. We knew about David. We knew about some of these stories. Do you know that the kids in the public schools today, practically any age in the public school, they know nothing of those stories. Do you know why they know nothing of those stories? It's because we live now in a culture where mom and dad know nothing of the stories. And why do they know nothing of the stories? Because grandma and grandpa know nothing of those stories, never even put them underneath the sound of any Bible teaching, let alone the gospel. They have nothing out there. They are ignorant of all of that. And being ignorant, they've got this big void and anything that comes in there that might feel pretty good for them, they'll embrace. Maybe for their time, maybe for as long as they live. Only to find out that while they were drowning in a sea of despair and sinfulness, hoping that something that they would have would hold them up, was nothing more than a toothpick. That when it was all over, he didn't save them. Because it wasn't Christ. Who was like that? Nicodemus. So Jesus had to tell him the truth. The second one was the woman who evaded the truth, which the woman at the well kind of danced around it, until Jesus said, here, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And then he gave a simple message of salvation. Ignorant of the truth, evading the truth, and then who else? I'm thinking of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, those of you that are earlier in your journey, all you need to know: these were two different groups of believing of how can I say, um, religious people, but lost nonetheless. They had a system of belief that was contrary to God's word. They didn't just were ignorant of Christ and who He was. They didn't just evade who He was and the truth. They opposed Christ completely. And what did Jesus do? Long-suffering and patience. I think evangelism is like scripture. It's like sowing and reaping. It takes a while. I think about fishing. You know what's so good about fishing sometimes? Is all you do is just fish. You just get out there and fish. You just relax. Go fishing. I remember when Pastor Charlie came to the island. I said, Pastor Charlie, let's, let's go fishing. So I went to Waikiki and Figured out how to get on one of those drift boats that go out there with all these people. And so he came on over and we're all excited. We could show up with the boat. Nobody was there. No captain, nobody, nobody. And finally somebody else showed up and said, oh, we're not going out tonight. Both of us were kind of down and discouraged. I don't remember what we did. We probably went out for ice cream or something. But anyway, my point is, fishing is so relaxing. But it takes so much time. And it can be very dangerous too. Farming, fishing, building, takes long suffering and patience. Let's look at the third one. Jesus was wise. Jesus was wise. Now it's interesting because when Jesus would approach someone, if you follow the life of Jesus, when he engaged the culture and the community, he never gave the same speech to, the, to each person exactly alike. So he didn't have a canned speech as he did it. Now let me balance that out. It's good to know, how do you open a conversation? What do you say? Some little pegs to kind of remember as you're talking to them. But the wisdom of Christ was this. He looked at the person. He looked at how can I communicate into their mindset and what they would understand so that they would engage the truth. Now watch this. He never changed the message. It was always faith alone in Christ. First, Christ is Lord. Secondly, he's Savior. First you had to realize that he is God, then you trust him and him alone, faith alone in Christ to have salvation. That was the same. But how he did it, one time he talked about the water of life. Another time he talked about it, being born again. Another time he said, it's like a door that's open. Another time, a feast you come to. The point of the matter, Jesus was wise as he engaged the culture to sense, how do I connect to them? Same message, but maybe a little bit different way to that person. Same truth. But what do I do to speak into their cultural mindset? He was very wise. Colossians 4, 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside the faith. Proverbs eleven thirty 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Here's the fourth and final one. All right, how important that is. He was sacrificial in what he did. Romans 5, 7 and 8. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I guess the question is, is how much would Stan and Carol be willing to sacrifice or give up in order to reach someone locally or globally? How much? What would we give up? When would we give up? How much would we sacrifice to reach them? Jesus looked at me as a sinner and he says, God gave me to you and I gave my life for you. That's a sacrifice. Moses prayed that his name would be blotted out of the book of life so Jews could come to faith. Paul said the same thing I'm willing to go to hell. So my own countrymen can come to know Christ as Savior. I'm wondering, what would you and I do to help someone come to know Christ as Savior that would cost us something to be able to reach them? What sacrifice would we make? Now, I'm not here to tell you, you do this, do this, do this, do this, but in your own heart you have to say, what I'm doing now, though, is probably not enough. Do I need to give up some of my time To get involved in something that would get me out of this and into the world. To engage them with the gospel. Is there going to be something here? Remembering that whatever I give for world evangelism, you know God's going to give that back to me because I'm just nothing more than just a pipe. Do do I give them that? Do I do that? Would God want me to give my son or my daughter, should they desire to go on a mission trip? Or to go into the ministry of some fashion. Would I be willing to do that even if it meant that God was going to call them to a third world country. And they nor I would have enough money to bring them back for holidays. Or go see them on their birthday. Or the birth of their first child. Would I be willing to sacrifice in some measure to reach people for Christ? Now I know these messages aren't real popular. Because we all want to learn how to get out of debt. We all want to learn how to have kids that really rock. We really want to have a super marriage that's full of intimacy. And I want you to have that too, folks. I really do. But at the same time we're doing that, I don't want to do it at the expense of letting the rest of the world go to hell. Making sure that we try to reach them for Christ. So again, for you that are our guests today, in a real sense, this message was designed with you in mind. I'm trying to help the rest of us who are believers To know that our intimacy with the Lord fuels our outreach to actually connect better with you. That we love you. So this isn't about us four no more shut the door. It's all about you and Jesus getting together. So I'm here today to tell you thank you for coming but what good would it be to excite us about reaching people with the message of the gospel without ever telling you what you need to do so you could have eternal life. So let me just say this. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we've all done something wrong. The Bible says the penalty for that sin is death, separation from Him. I'm a sinner by nature and choice, I'm already separated from Him. I'll spend eternity in hell. That's separation forever. The Bible says that if I'm trying to be good to go to heaven, Revelation 21 says that I have to be perfect, not commit any sin at any time in my life ever. Heart, mind, tongue, or life. We know we've blown that, we're not perfect. The Bible says that good works don't get me to heaven. So whether they're religious works like baptism or church membership or keeping the commandments or they're social things like helping out and do-gooder programs all over the island, all of that is good. But he says if you're counting on that, it's nothing more than a dirty rag in my sight. The Bible says that God says, you know what, I've got to deal with your sin. You can't deal with it. I'm going to take all your sin on myself. If you die, you spend eternity in hell. If I die, I'll suffer your hell for you on the cross So Jesus took all of our sin on the cross. Hence we have Easter. He died still at Easter, resurrected from the dead to show he had power over all of that. And now he says the only thing you have to do to have eternal life is to believe that I am the Lord who died on the cross and rose again. Trust me as your personal Savior. Trust me that I say I'll forgive you. Trust me that I promise to have a forever relationship with you. Trust me that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never cast you out. I'll never lose you. Trust me that I'm a man of my word because I'm God who can only keep it. Now, if you do that, then you'll have eternal life. And the rest of us, that's the message that we want to be compassionate about. That's the message that we want to have long-suffering and patience. That's the message that we want to wisely communicate. That's the message that we're willing to sacrifice almost anything to get that message out to other people. And it's easy to do because all that we said, compassion, long-suffering, wisdom, all of that is in Christ who's now in us. And as we allow Him to live out that characteristic, then to that degree, as the Father sent Christ into the world, Jesus says, so send I you into the world. And it can be done. Let's pray with every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know who's all hearing this message, but really, the first person should hear it would be those who need to come to faith alone in Jesus Christ. Maybe for you, you might say to him, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you because you're the only Savior. I know my good works will never get me the forgiveness of my sin. I know that it's only found by faith in Christ. Will you now tell the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for my sins and for giving to me eternal life With a relationship forever with you. So is there anyone in here today that's saying that kind of communication. Whether it's a prayer or it's a mental thing. Where you are now fully engaging Christ as your savior. Because he is the Lord who died and rose again. I'd like to know that and I'd like to pray for you. Now I'm not going to have you stand up or come forward. But I want to know if you're trusting Christ as your savior today. Now raising your hand doesn't get you into heaven. Walking an aisle doesn't get you into heaven. believing in Christ does. So if today you're doing that with every head bowed and every eye closed without saying a word but silently letting me know I'd like to pray for you. Here's how you do it. Very simple. When I ask you to slip up your hand and put it down because that uplifted hand is a silent way to tell me that today you're receiving Christ as your Savior because you placed your faith in Him. All right, with every head bowed and every eye closed is there anyone in here right now who's trusting Christ as their personal Savior today and you'd like me to know that And I'd like to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all? All right, Christians. Now for the rest of us, our intimacy with the Lord should be fueling our outreach for the Lord. What are we doing to find out who's missing? Who needs the gospel? Who can I build a relationship, bridge to? What ministry can I get involved in? What can I do? Whether it's an event thing here or going out into the community, But am I really involved in some form of an outreach ministry in some measure? Now, you might be involved in a small group ministry. That's great. But are you going to be the voice in that small group that you're in about outreach? What you will do to reach someone who's lost? That's part of it. That should be a component in some measure. Maybe not every week. But that's a fabric of your ministry in some measure. What will you do personally? What will you do with your team what will we do as a church? What aren't we doing that we could be doing and should be doing? What are we doing too much of that's distracted us, that's good to do but kept us from the great thing? Begin to seek the Lord on this. We want to partner with Him. Where does He want to take us this next year? Because we're learning to be intimate, but we don't want to just be so selfish with our feel-good moment of intimacy with the Lord. We also want to suffer some persecution because we want to live godly for Him as well. And by the way, that's another sure way to become more intimate with Him. How many of you would like to have prayer because you're sensing that there has been a little bit of movement away from your local and global evangelism? Or maybe more positively, you'll say, Pastor, I want to do more, and I know I should be doing more, and I'd like you to pray for me. Whether I do it personally or get involved, I just want to ramp up a little bit more. And I want to follow the characteristics of Christ. Would you pray for me, Pastor? This is where I want to go. Would you raise your hand right now? Is there anyone? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who is all of this. Compassionate, long-suffering to us. He was wise and sacrificial. And now, Father, as your children, we want you to live that life out through us. We want to exchange our own selfish heart and allow you a very benevolent heart to live out through us so we could let the whole world know. In Jesus' name, amen.